Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. It's the California Report magazine, and this Thanksgiving weekend, when so many of us have had to make the difficult choice to spend the holiday away from our loved ones, we're inviting you to a virtual family gathering with some of our favorite stories from Thanksgiving 2017. Remember back when we could all get together? We'll hear what happens to a family when two unlikely partners fall in love. In French, we call it élargie, which means it keeps expanding and morphing into the most confusing and delightful thing. And meet brothers who've been singing gospel together for 50 years and are finally getting praise outside the church. It's incredible. We're having the time of our lives. Can I get a witness here? Yes. All right. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Okay, so you know the saying, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends? Well, for Bianca Taylor, her friends have become her family. Literally. She tells us how her unconventional family was transformed by an unexpected romance. Sometimes when you grow up with a really close friend, their parents become like your parents and vice versa. That's like Kat and me. We've been best friends since we were seven. We also went to uh, elementary school together. Uh, We went to middle school together. When she and I were in second grade, our parents met. My dad, Eric, remembers... A very good-looking couple, and that was uh, had great sense of humor. And, of course, we became um, friends with them. Kat's dad, Joe, instantly liked my parents, too. They were, they were very uh, fun. Did a lot of energy and a lot of humor in that, uh, in that house. Joe and my dad bonded over their eclectic taste in music. I was a big uh, music buff and um, always looking for people to go to shows with me and Joe was very willing to to go to shows. So I remember when you guys were, I don't know, it was fourth or fifth grade where we went to a show, Cake and Flaming Lips, and I think Moby was doing a DJ set. So here were these two young girls, uh, I think probably the first concert you'd have been to, and it was these wild bands, and so we had a fun time um, watching you guys interact with the crowd. Then, everything started to change. When we were in fourth grade, Kat's dad, Joe, came out as gay, and her parents got divorced. Here's how Joe remembers that time. I just sort of have this sort of 
still feeling that, that there was this, you know, this, this glass was dropping out of my hands and shattering and it would never be put back together. A few years later, my mom and dad got separated. And several more years after that, my dad came out as gay. My mom, Joan, actually took it all pretty well. You know, it's really good to model happy behavior and authentic behavior. So the fact that we aren't married and that he's gay and happy and that I'm happy seems like a very healthy way to raise children. It also seems like a very healthy way to live on Earth. And so... So fast forward to 2015. Kat and I are now roommates living together in Oakland. Our brothers are both going to UC Santa Barbara. Our dads are openly gay. And all four of our parents live in Sacramento. One day, Kat and I discover a weird coincidence. So I remember my dad asked me for a recommendation of a place to eat. And I told him Wally's in Emeryville. And then and then your dad texted you. Yeah, and said, oh, yeah, like, I went to Wally's yesterday. We were like, oh, yeah, I guess they went to Wally's together. Like, that's interesting. More than just interesting... We've just discovered our dads are having a relationship. We're both excited, but we don't say anything to them. A month later, I'm heading out of town on my birthday when my dad calls. And you called and, you know, have a great trip. By the way, I'm dating Joe Redota. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, we we thought so. That's great. And then Kat texts me. She's like, oh, I guess the dads are dating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their friendship had moved beyond swim meets and rock concerts. We discovered some new things about one another. Yeah, we finally started having conversations you don't have as two suburban dads. So my dad and Joe, my best friend's dad, fell in love. My mom's reaction? And I was just happy for him. And that it was Joe was comforting because we know Joe. Since Joe and my dad have come out as dating, things have settled into a weirdly normal domestic routine. Two families have come together through unusual circumstances, um, and and we've made it seem as natural as it really is. To have the families expanded rather than broken is really, really um, fortunate. At my mom's 60th birthday party a few weeks ago, we're all here. The dads, Kat, her mom, and our brothers. It's Wonder Woman-themed, so there's a lot of red and gold. I'm wearing a tiara and metal cuffs on my arms. My mom is in a gold sequined dress. She grabs the mic in front of the DJ. I want to thank my family, which is large and unusual and and wonderful. So I want to start with um, my newish family-esque, which is Joe, which is Eric's partner, and my good friend and his was wife. And their children, who are dear friends to my own children. I don't take anything about my family for granted. I know that the happiness we share with each other now was hard fought and took a lot of patience, respect, and unconditional love, especially from our moms. But my mom says that she sees the gift in our family-esque. In French, we call it élargie, which means it keeps expanding and morphing into the most confusing and delightful So this Thanksgiving, my confusing and delightful family gathered around the table. My dad and I argued about politics. My mom and Joe were in charge of what movie we watched. And we all ate way too much pie. You know, normal family stuff. 
For the California Report, I'm Bianca Taylor. Food is a big part of spending time with family over the holidays. For 13-year-old Makai Hunt, it's a chance to learn recipes passed down through generations. 12-year-old Stevie Rivas is thinking about sharing with people who don't have enough to eat. They bring us two commentaries now, produced with the writing program 826 Valencia, based in San Francisco. Cooking with Grams by Makai Hunt with 826 Valencia. I woke up to the sound of old school music from the kitchen. That's how I knew my grandma was cooking and all my aunts, cousins, uncles were coming over to have a feast. I got up as fast as I could and darted down the stairs to help my grandma cook the feast. First we had made greens. I washed them to get any leftover dirt off. Then I picked the greens While picking the greens, my grandma says, don't leave any greens on the stem because there won't be enough for your uncle. (laughs) That always makes me laugh when she says that. Then I put them in the pot of hot water to cook them. After that, we make a five cheese mac and cheese. Then we make the roast. While making the roast, I have to stab it so all the juice seasoning can get inside of it. Then last but not least, we make the fried chicken. The fried chicken is the fastest to cook. After we finish making all the food, we put it on a nice platter and sit the food on the table. Then all my family take pictures and post it on Snapchat. This is important to me because when I cook with my grandma, it relieves all my anger and stress away from me. And when I cook with my grandma, I learn more about my family. The Thanksgiving Meal by Stevie. It was a not so cold day in the city of San Francisco. It was Thanksgiving. My family had just finished our Thanksgiving feast. We had the best chicken ever. Just writing about it makes my mouth water. We had some leftovers and I thought not everyone could have a big feast and eat the best chicken ever. So I said, we should give some food to a homeless person. I always see homeless around my neighborhood Some do drugs, but a lot don't. Some actually try to get their stuff together. Some recycle to get money. I usually see homeless when I walk my dog. I feel bad for them. I think to myself, they used to have a home like me, and they used to be a kid just like me. My mom gave me a Safeway bag, and me and my brother's girlfriend started to put food in it. I was thinking, what if he gets mad because we woke him up and doesn't want the food? I was nervous. I opened the door to go outside. It was kind of cold. I went to the couch where the man was sleeping and I said, excuse me, sir. He woke up, I was nervous. And I said, we brought you some food. He said, oh, thank you, God bless you. I said, no problem and God bless you too. Those commentaries from Stevie Rebus and Makai Hunt came to us from a workshop at 826 Valencia, a nonprofit that supports kids with their writing skills and helps teachers inspire their students to write. The California Report has been on the air for 25 years, and we're celebrating with a special live stream event on December 8th. We'll feature California stories and musical performances, along with visits from beloved alums of our show, like NPR's Tamara Keith and KQED's Scott Schaefer. We also want to see your state through your eyes. 
post your photos of what the Golden State means to you on Instagram or Twitter using the hashtag TheCaliforniaReport. More information about the event at kqed.org events. That's the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. For more than 40 years, the group has used its music to help create community and inspire activism. Back in 2017, they toured five southern states to support local LGBTQ communities there. KQED's Chloe Veltman caught up with them on the tour bus and brought us the story of a reunion between one of the singers and his mom. On the journey from Birmingham, Alabama to Knoxville, Tennessee, singer Tom Kennard isn't paying much attention to a video screening of the best little whorehouse in Texas like the rest of his fellow choir members on the bus. He's worried about whether his mom will like the scarf he's crocheted for her. She picked green to go with her pea coat. I mean, I didn't wrap them up nicely, but... Tom's 67, and it's been many years since his mom Joyce last heard him sing. She's travelling five and a half hours from Indianapolis to see Tom perform with the chorus in Knoxville. When I chat with him in his hotel ahead of the show, Tom recalls with horror his mom dressing him up like a doll when he was a child. She always had me in these frilly dresses and frilly socks. Joyce is something of a traditionalist, I discover, when I first meet her at her hotel shortly after she arrives in Knoxville, a churchgoer who met her husband in high school. We were together 67 years, raised five children. Tom was the oldest. So it was tough on Joyce when Tom came out as a lesbian in his 20s, and even tougher when, at age 47, he decided to take hormones and eventually undergo gender reassignment surgery. And honestly, I was very shocked. I had a hard time accepting it. She's since come around. I realized after a while that I loved my child, and that I didn't want to lose my child. Bringing people together is one of the reasons the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is on this tour. The country's biggest and oldest gay choir changed its international travel plans soon after the 2016 presidential election to instead visit five southern states. The singers are doing concerts and outreach events in places where LGBTQ rights are in conflict with conservative Christian views. Right before the concert begins, Joyce takes her seat front and centre in the Knoxville Civic Auditorium. She's excited and a little bit nervous. She's brought her daughter Amy along for support. Are you ready, Mom? I'm ready. (laughs) Meanwhile, Tom's backstage. He's nervous too. He's one of 250 singers and he wants to make sure his mom and sister get a good view of him up there under the lights. Do you think they can see me? It's showtime. The singers file on stage and perform a set that ranges from the serious to the silly. (laughs) 
There are close to a thousand people in the audience. The mayor of Knoxville is here. Everyone seems to be having a great time. Once the curtain goes down, Tom rushes to the lobby to find his family. What did you think, family? Oh, I thought it was wonderful. You have to get the new album. Thank you. I told Amy, I need a new needle for my little record player. It's taken years for Joyce and Tom to get to this point. Tom says his mother's trip to see him sing with the chorus gave her some peace with the choices he's made to live his life in the most authentic way he can. But like any mother, Joyce is worried about her child's safety, especially since the chorus was headed to North Carolina, where there's an ongoing battle around whether trans people are legally allowed to use the bathroom that matches their gender identity. Not that Tom would be mistaken for a woman in the men's restroom. He's bald and sings low bass in the choir. is just happy his mom got to see him sing and relieved that she likes her new crocheted scarf. For The California Report, I'm Chloe Veltman. Let me hear somebody say yeah! Will some families figure out their groove together by making music, like the gospel quartet from Vallejo called the Sons of the Soul Revivers? They've been singing together for 50 years since they were kids in church. What he done for me? Listen, I get joy when I think about I what he's done for me. They're the Morgan brothers, Dwayne, James, and Walter Jr., together with their nephew, Kawante Johnson. Back in 2017, they had a new album out called Live at Rancho Nicasio, and we invited them to our studio to give us a mini-concert. Welcome, you guys. Hey, hey, hey. All right. So you guys come from a musical family. How did you guys start singing? Was it something you were expected to do or something you wanted to do? Something we wanted to do. Our fathers were the Soul Revivers, and the year was 1970. I was around the age of eight. And a cousin of mine, we decided we wanted to form a group. And we couldn't think of a name. So we said, well, temporarily, we'll call ourselves the Sons of the Soul Revivers. And the name just stuck. You all, you brothers, have been performing together for more than 40 years. What's that like to perform with your family? How does it affect your relationship, your family dynamics? There are some moments that we have where we have disagreements, like any other family. Um, But all in all, uh, speaking for myself, uh, it's a joy to be able to get up there and uh, sing with my brothers and nephew over there. Um, The feeling I get when I hit the stage is just hard to describe. I mean, it's just one of the greatest feelings I ever felt. So you guys have an album that blues keyboardist Jim Pugh helped produce through the nonprofit Little Village Foundation, which 
you know, takes a lot of artists who might not get recognized by mainstream labels and gives them an opportunity to reach a broader audience. You guys have had sold out shows to audiences that might not actually typically go to see a gospel quartet. What does it feel like to kind of break out of the church walls and reach a broader audience? I mean, it's a thrill. Because what's cool about it for me is that we can be ourselves. We don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. We can just be who we are. And the people just, I'm telling you, sometimes I feel like a rock star. You know, I come off the stage, you know, people be surrounding me and, you know, security be like, hey, but I be like, hey, it's cool. Because we're all just having a good time. And, you know, after 47 years of being together as a group, and I've been in the group 44, I mean, the difference between singing to a traditional church and going to these festivals, is, I, like I said, I can't even Night and day. really describe me. Wow, you know, it's in, it's incredible. Yeah. We're having the time of our lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can I get a witness here? Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. All right. It's out of the box. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's, it's, it's <laughs> wonderful. And to see people smile, you know. You may not believe it. There's a lot of people that are really searching, looking for that that something spiritual. And then you get to be able to to share Christ with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we believe in and the peace that, like I said, surpasses all understanding what the Bible says. And you could tell the people, there's some people that might be suicidal and come to you and say, you know what? I wanted to end my life, but when I heard you sing, I had a change of mind. I, I, I hear the sound Like the sound of a trumpet Trumpet I hear the sound Oh yeah Like the sound of many waters Sometimes the words through the song can settle the mind and, you know, whatever you're going through, it gives you hope. It's been tough on a lot of folks this year. And when people get so depressed, they don't know where to turn to. You know, you need something to fall back on, a, you know, a kind word, a beautiful song, anything that can help lift a burden. Now, let me ask you, with all the success that you've been having with the album, with the concerts, I'm assuming... Even though that's all happened, music is still a side hustle for you guys, right? Do you still have day jobs? (laughs) (laughs) I'm retired. Oh, well, that's good. Oh, I was just curious what it is that you all do or have done besides music. I'm a school bus driver, but I'm ready to go on the road. And when people hear me sing, even at the yard sometimes, or hear me just playing around singing, they ask me, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Your calling is out there, you know, and and you always talk about faith, you know. You can need to have faith and move on and go on the road. And who knows, maybe if we can stay consistent with it, we can finally say, okay, yeah, this is how we, you know, pay our bills. Till then, though, um, we, we, we can go to work for our nephew over here. He's a producer. 
He has a studio, but he but he don't want to pay nobody though. <laughs> we need somebody who wants to pay, you know. So that's the problem. We got to pay our bills. I'm a touring man. musician. I, I do this for a living. I've been doing it for the last ten years. Music is what I do. I breathe it. Is there something different about playing with your family though? To be honest, because um, the reaction we get from on our shows, you know, like. I played on stage with, I was a drummer for Fantastic Negrito, who just won a Grammy out of Oakland. To see the reaction on people's faces during his music versus my uncle's music, it's the same thing as people in the audience is going crazy, you know. But to know what you're singing about and they're still reacting like that, it's like I can appreciate that more than being on the stage with a Negrito. I, I, I like I like singing with my family a lot more. It's really great you guys brought your instruments to our studio and you're going to play a little something for us. The Man in the Middle. One, two. The cross on the left. It hung up a dying sinner The cross on the right You know it hung up a dying sinner too But that cross in the middle it hung, dear Jesus, I know the cross in the middle, it hung the ransom for my soul, yes it did, yes it did, well the man in the middle takes away my, my heavy burdens, oh yes he does, the man in the middle, he washes me day by day. He changed my life. God spared not his son. One Friday evening, he paid the price. The man in the middle. In case you didn't know it, he makes everything all right. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He made it all right. James, Dwayne, and Walter Morgan, along with their nephew, Quante Johnson, are the sons of the Soul Revivers. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Oh, well, well, thank, thank you, California, California Report. We, we love really you, are, we, we love you uh, and appreciate everything uh, that you're doing for the sons.
And that's it for the California Report magazine. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Our director is Amanda Font. Our technical producer is C.O. Muller with additional engineering from Rob Spate. Our team also includes Susie Racho and Ariella Markowitz. I'm Sasha Coca, wishing you a safe and happy Thanksgiving weekend. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 